0: This is the John Oakley Show podcast. On a great day for Talk Radio. Uh, Otherwise, we were just talking about the importance of referrals from doctors. This became a celebrated court case, whether it goes further up the food chain, anyone's guess on that matter, and others dealing with mental health. Oren Amate is our go to guy, registered psychologist and media commentator, and he's joined The Oakley Show at Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Oren, how are you doing this afternoon?
1: I'm doing great. Thank
0: you, John. Lauren, I've got to ask you, just out of curiosity, I don't know if you followed that story about uh, the hearing before the Court of Appeal here in Ontario that uh, upheld a divisional court ruling that says doctors must refer when it comes to matters that might even militate against their conscience, uh, for example, assisted dying, abortion, so on and so forth. A group of doctors had uh, taken it up to the Court of Appeal, and they lost. Their obligated doctors are to give referrals for medical services, even if they do go against their religious beliefs. How do you feel about that?
1: Well, if they could show that uh, they were doing more harm than good, like actually medically, then I could understand and think they have a case. Uh, when it comes to acting against their conscience, they're not being demanded to, to do the, perform, uh, the procedure themselves. So I think we have an ethical duty to refer somebody, you know, refer the person to somebody else who can do it.
0: All right, even if they're against the practice per se, uh a referral, I get it, it's a uh, sort of second hand or there's a bit of distancing there, but if they want no party to that, uh don't they have rights of their own that uh, conscious rights, uh you know, conscientious rights that are guaranteed by the uh the charter that uh should have been upheld?
1: Well, that's a charter question versus a professional question because you know our goal is, you know, to do no harm or to you know put the public or the the individual patient's uh, well-being at a premium, and again, if we can't show that it's medical harm, if we believe, you know, that because this is not a, a strict, sorry, this is not a black and white question. Um, so, if we are causing harm, for example, for denying by denying a procedure, then would that not trump our charter rights? Because we've taken an oath, so to speak, you know, um, an ethical, uh, to say. Undertaking to uphold the patient's well-being, so and you can argue, well, am I really upholding it? Well, if that's what they're saying is in their best interest, if they can be shown to be medic- uh, to be competent and to be able to make their decisions, I do think that they do have to, you know, abide by their requests. Um, again, unless they could show that really they are causing harm, I or they're not capable of making that decision, they're not competent, they're not old enough.
0: Is there any danger that this could uh, fall into the realm of government compulsion, and uh, who knows where that can lead?
1: i'm always worried about government uh overstepping their bounds um and if we're compelled to to do things that we don't think if we can show that it's not in the best interest i think we should be able to to you know state our case and if uh and if we can show that it's not in uh, the public's best interest then i would hope that we have an ability to you know to fight against it in this particular case i'm just thinking that again if i were forced to do something that i thought was wrong um then that would be a problem but if i can simply just refer someone else um you know i, I don't think that I, I don't see that as an issue saying i'm not going to do it i will tell i can i can even tell my patient this is why I, I don't think it's right or this is why i think you might want to reconsider it but i don't think i can exert any pressure beyond that and i think that they have the right to be referred to someone who will do it
0: all right so i was like mm, mm, down the hall that guy uh i I, got, I don't know does this one go higher to the supreme court any idea That, uh, I don't know. That's above my pay grade. Okay. (laughs) Dr. Orin Amate with us, registered psychologist and media commentator. Hey, let's speak to the Supreme Court story. Justice Clement Gascon, Uh, he suffered a panic panic attack last week and uh, was MIA for a while. There was great concern from the family and the police. They tracked him down, uh, no harm, no foul. uh, But he's planning to retire. He announced that earlier last month. uh, And the Chief Justice... Uh, basically said it won't affect his ability to continue on the bench. Apparently, he's suffering this panic attack as a result of depression. Uh, he's also had a change in medication. Uh, is he still in good standing on the bench? Won't it compromise maybe rulings or so on and so forth?
1: If he wasn't uh, getting treatment for it, whether it's uh, medication or through psychotherapy or preferably both, um, and if he wasn't, uh, if, if he was in a state where he was incapacitated, which if in the middle of a panic attack, you cannot think you can barely keep your you know your thoughts together at in any capacity, uh, let alone trying to make these high level uh, you know thought processes occur. So if you were doing that or trying to make a ruling in that state, then I would say that's uh you know that's improper. but being feeling overwhelmed temporarily by a condition like this and learning to cope with it and being able to uh, you know ride it out, it only lasts about ten or fifteen minutes. Um, that will not necessarily detract from his ability to function on the bench, but he would have to be honest with himself and if he was having one, he would have to take a recess he can again, you cannot function in the midst of a full blown panic attack. so if he tried to do that, that would be a concern but i don't think that should prevent him you know again, if he has the safeguards in place, you know takes a recess, composes himself. And is able to return to the bench, uh, you know, within a half an hour, for example. I don't think that would be an issue. Um, if he tried to return, he wasn't in the proper state, and it was clouding his judgment and his ability to, you know, to make these kinds of decisions. Then I would be concerned.
0: All right. Well, you know, uh, at least the fact that it's come to the fore tells us that uh, there's less stigma attached to that, as opposed to uh, what happened to Justice Ledain, I think back in the uh, mid to late 80s, where uh, he was basically turfed from the bench because he also suffered from depression, and anxiety, uh, mental illness in a nutshell. And that's the beat I wanted to uh, dwell on here for a moment or two because uh, Global News has a series, and this is the third installment that airs tonight exploring the Canadian health care system and the financial burden it places on many Canadian families in order to ensure their kids are receiving the mental health care they need. Uh, It's interesting that it focuses on...
1: At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't
0: get in the way of life-changing
1: care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder.
0: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. And children primarily seems to me child psychiatry is becoming a bigger field, would you concur?
1: I would, and I'm concerned about child psychiatry expanding too much. Uh, I think we need to focus more on child psychology. Now, this could be self-serving because that is my profession, but psychiatry, you know, by nature, it's, it's not for everybody, but it is more of a medical model and trying to reduce all of children's issues to something that can be dealt with, you know, through, let's say, medication I am very concerned, and we know that. I mean, for the last um, three decades at least, if not four, we have seen um, medicine being used, what I would consider to be recklessly, in many cases, with children or with youth. Uh, medication that was meant for adults, was meant for a certain contexts, and yet it's being used with children in a different, uh, you know, uh, for, in a different capacity. That's worrisome. Um, I think we do need to spend more time and money on uh, children's mental health but we should do it through a psychotherapeutic or a psychological or supportive uh, mechanism, not simply medication.
0: Well, you know, in this uh, Ipsos uh, study that was done, a poll for Global News exclusively, 51% of Canadians believe mental health services should be covered for those without insurance of their own. Uh, and a psychologist can run them, you know, 175 uh, visits. So it's obviously expensive. What's the situation here in Ontario, Uh is this covered by OHIP? Uh, do you have to take out private insurance plans through employers perhaps? How does that work?
1: Yes, yeah, so there is no, um you know, OHIP does not cover psychological services. If you can get in to see a psychiatrist or a GP, a general practitioner, who does some type of supportive therapy. Psychiatrists can be qualified to do, you know, real psychotherapy, but mostly family doctors. It's just talking, you know, having an hour just to chat, and they get booked up really quickly because, of such, you know, there are so few people who are doing that. So, if you want to see a psychologist or another type of uh, psychotherapist, you do have to pay out of pocket unless you have private insurance. Much of the private insurance is like three or five hundred dollars. Uh, some companies have what's called an EAP or an employee assistance program that you'll get three to five sessions if you're lucky. These are not with psychologists; usually, they're with you know um, people with far less experience. And once you're finished that. Well, now they say we'll refer you to a you know, psychologist where you have to pay out of pocket. So we do not have uh, coverage for people who, you know, who do need this type of um, service. And ironically, when we're worried about costs, we know that mental, you know, let's say mental illness or any type of mental illness related issue, it deprives uh, the economy, you know, far more than any other condition out there. Like it, 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 people who aren't who are either missing work or they're not able to function at their level—that is having an impact on the economy. And if we invested in trying to mitigate that, uh, you know, rather than trying to—I don't know—pay for it after the fact, it would be much better.
0: Well, then let me ask you finally, because there are you know the whole brouhaha surrounding cutbacks to public health. But uh, by the same token, Christine Elliott, the health minister, saying they've earmarked more money for mental health. Uh, where do we stand on that? Are we uh, net going to be beneficiaries of more uh, public health funding for mental illness or less?
1: Uh, See, Unfortunately, a lot of the times the funding goes to administration, it goes to research, it goes to a place like CAMH, where they are doing some studies, uh, they are paying the bills of certain people, but they are not going to the frontline workers um, to the services, let's say at school, for example, where you can try um, try to deal with the issue before it becomes a crisis providing children with supportive systems helping them learn better coping mechanisms um, or having again outreach programs uh, where people can go before it becomes a crisis that's the key thing uh, and it's not going there and i haven't heard any word specifically of how that money is going to be used um beyond the the traditional uh where you know they, they i know they're claiming that they're gonna have some more um let's say outreach workers or frontline workers but usually it's like a fraction of what is needed, and it mostly goes to administration and research.
0: Well, that's misguided then. Uh, well, we'll hope, uh, keep our fingers crossed, obviously we'll update uh, periodically and check in with you, and I appreciate your time as always.
1: And I always appreciate uh, being given the opportunity to speak about these, so thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Warren Amate, registered psychologist and media commentator.